tonight a reading from Coraline by Neil Gaiman. If you would like to hear this full book read by me as an audiobook, you can get that right now on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. For a few dollars a month, you get two episodes every week instead of one, and you get access to every episode so far, including full audiobooks. Whenever I finish a book, I put it all together into one long episode. Sometimes we do that with rain sounds in the background as well, so you have a choice of versions of that book. And so Coraline is one of those. You can also get The Wizard of Oz. You can get The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and more. You also get to vote on what book I read next. So do come and join me if you can at patreon.com slash down to sleep. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for listening. Let's get down to sleep. Whatever app you're listening on, please do consider leaving a positive review for this podcast if you enjoy it. That would be a great way to support it and help others find the podcast. Thank you. Coraline by Neil Gaiman Coraline discovered the door a little while after they moved into the house. It was a very old house. It had an attic under the roof and a cellar under the ground and an overgrown garden with huge old trees in it. Caroline's family didn't own all of the house. It was too big for that. Instead, they owned part of it. There were other people who lived in the old house. Miss Spink and Miss Forcible lived in the flat below Caroline's on the ground floor. They were both old and round, and they lived in their flat with a number of aging Highland terriers who had names like Hamish and Andrew and Jock. Once upon a time, Miss Spink and Miss Forcible had been actresses, as Miss Spink told Coraline the first time she met her. You see, Caroline, Miss Spink said, getting Coraline's name wrong, both myself and Miss Forcible were famous actresses in our time. We trod the boards, lovey. Oh, don't let Hamish eat the fruit cake. He'll be up all night with his tummy. It's Coraline, not Caroline. Coraline, said Coraline. In the flat above Coraline's, under the roof, was a crazy old man with a big moustache. He told Coraline that he was training a mouse circus. He wouldn't let anyone see it. One day, little Caroline, when they're all ready, everyone in the whole world will see the wonders of my mouse circus. You ask me why you cannot see it now. Is that what you asked me? No, said Coraline quietly. I asked you not to call me Caroline. It's Coraline. The reason you cannot see the mouse circus, said the man upstairs, is that the mice are not yet ready and rehearsed. Also, they refuse to play the songs that I have written for them. All the songs that I have written for the mice to play go oompa, oompa. But the white mice will only play toodle-oodle, like that. I am thinking of trying them on different types of cheese. Coraline didn't think there really was a mouse circus. She thought the old man was probably making it up. The day after they moved in, Coraline went exploring. She explored the garden. It was a big garden. At the very back was an old tennis court, but no one in the house played tennis, and the fence around the court had holes in it, and the net had mostly rotted away. There was a rose garden, an old one filled with stunted, fly-blown rose bushes. 
There was a rockery that was all rocks. There was a fairy ring made of squidgy brown toadstools which smelled dreadful if you accidentally trod on them. There was also a well. On the first day that Coraline's family moved in, Miss Spink and Miss Forcible made a point of telling Coraline how dangerous the well was, and they warned her to be sure she kept away from it. So Coraline set off to explore for it, so that she knew where it was to keep away from it properly. She found it on the third day, in an overgrown meadow besides the tennis court, behind a clump of trees, a low brick circle almost hidden in the high grass. The well had been covered up by wooden boards to stop anyone falling in. There was a small knothole in one of the boards, and Coraline spent an afternoon dropping pebbles and acorns through the hole and waiting and counting until she heard the plop as they hit the water far below. Coraline also explored for animals. She found a hedgehog and a snake skin, but no snake, and a rock that looked just like a frog, and a toad that looked just like a rock. There was also a haughty black cat who sat on walls and tree stumps and watched her, but slipped away if she ever went over to try and play with it. That was how she spent her first two weeks in the house, exploring the garden and the grounds. Her mother made her come back inside for dinner and for lunch, and Coraline had to make sure she dressed up warm before she went out, for it was a very cold summer that year. But go out she did, exploring, every day, until the day that it rained, when Coraline had to stay inside. "'What should I do?' asked Coraline. "'Read a book,' said her mother. "'Watch a video.' Play with your toys. Go and pester Miss Spink or Miss Forcible or the crazy old man upstairs. No, said Coraline. I don't want to do those things. I want to explore. I don't really mind what you do, said Coraline's mother, as long as you don't make a mess. Coraline went over to the window and watched the rain come down. It wasn't the kind of rain that you could go out in. It was the other kind. The kind that threw itself down from the sky and splashed where it landed. It was rain that meant business, and currently its business was turning the garden into a muddy, wet soup. Coraline had watched all the videos. She was bored with her toys, and she'd read all of her books. She turned on the television. She went from channel to channel to channel, but there was nothing on but men in suits, talking about the stock market and talk shows. Eventually she found something to watch. It was the last half of a natural history program about something called protective coloration. She watched animals, birds, insects, which disguised themselves as leaves or twigs or other animals to escape from things that could hurt them. She enjoyed it, but it ended too soon and was followed by a program about a cake factory. It was time to talk to her father. Coraline's father was home. Both of her parents worked, doing things on computers, which meant they were home a lot of the time. Each of them had their own study. Hello, Coraline, he said when she came in, 
without turning around. Mm, said Coraline. It's raining. Yep, said her father. It's bucketing down. Uh, no, said Coraline. It's just raining. Can I go outside? What does your mother say? She says you're not going out in weather like that, Coraline Jones. Then, no. But I want to carry on exploring. Then explore the flat. Look, here's a piece of paper and a pen. Count all the doors and windows. List everything blue. Mount an expedition to discover the hot water tank. And leave me alone to work. Can I go into the drawing room? The drawing room was where the Joneses kept the expensive and uncomfortable furniture. Coraline's grandmother had left them this when she died. Coraline wasn't allowed in there. Nobody went in there. It was only for the best. If you don't make a mess, and you don't touch anything... Coraline considered this carefully. Then she took the paper and the pen, and went off to explore the inside of the flat. She discovered the hot water tank. It was in a cupboard in the kitchen. She counted everything blue, 153. She counted the windows, 21. She counted the doors, 14. Of the doors that she found, 13 opened and closed. The other, the big carved brown wooden door at the far corner of the drawing room, was locked. She said to her mother, Where does that door go? Nowhere, dear. It has to go somewhere. Her mother shook her head. Look, she told Coraline. She reached up and took a string of keys from the top of the kitchen door frame. She sorted through them carefully and selected the oldest, biggest, blackest, rustiest key. They went into the drawing room. She unlocked the door with the key. The door swung open. Her mother was right. The door didn't go anywhere. It opened onto a brick wall. When this place was just one house, said Coraline's mother, the door went somewhere. When they turned the house into flats, they simply bricked it up. The other side is the empty flat on the other side of the house, the one that's still for sale. She shut the door and put the string of keys back on top of the kitchen door frame. You didn't lock it, said Coraline. Her mother shrugged. Why should I lock it? It doesn't go anywhere. Coraline didn't say anything. It was nearly dark outside now, and the rain was still coming down, pattering against the windows and blurring the lights of the cars in the street outside. Coraline's father stopped working and made them dinner. Coraline was disgusted. Daddy, she said, you've made a recipe again. It's leek and potato stew with tarragon garnish and melted Gruyere cheese, he admitted. Coraline sighed. She went to the freezer and got out some microwave chips and a microwave mini pizza. You know I don't like recipes, she told her father. While her dinner went around and around and the little red numbers on the microwave counted down to zero. If you tried it, maybe you'd like it, said Coraline's father. But she shook her head. That night, Coraline lay awake in her bed. The rain had stopped, and she was almost asleep when something went. She sat up in bed. Something went green. 
Coraline got out of bed and looked down the hall, but saw nothing strange. She walked down the hall. From her parents' bedroom came a low snoring, and that was her father. An occasional sleeping mutter, that was her mother. Coraline wondered if she had dreamt it, whatever it was. Something moved. It was a little more than a shadow, and it scuttled down the darkened hall fast, like a little patch of night. She hoped it wasn't a spider. Spiders made Coraline intensely uncomfortable. The black shape went into the drawing room, and Coraline followed it a little nervously. The room was dark. The only light came from the hall, and Coraline, who was standing in the doorway, cast a huge and distorted shadow onto the drawing room carpet. She looked like a thin, giant woman. Caroline was just wondering whether or not she ought to turn on the lights when she saw the black shape edge slowly out from beneath the sofa. It paused, and then dashed silently across the carpet towards the farthest corner of the room. There was no furniture in that corner of the room. Coraline turned on the light. There was nothing in the corner. Nothing but the old door that opened onto the brick wall. She was sure that her mother had shut that door, but now it was ever so slightly open. Just a crack. Coraline went over to it and looked in. There was nothing there. Just a wall, built of red bricks. Coraline closed the old wooden door, turned out the light, and went to bed. She dreamed of black shapes that slid from place to place, avoiding the light, until they were all gathered together under the moon. Little black shapes with little red eyes and sharp yellow teeth. They started to sing. We are small, but we are many. We are many, we are small. We were here before you rose, we will be here when you fall. Their voices were high and whispering and slightly whiny. They made Coraline feel uncomfortable. Then Coraline dreamed a few commercials. And after that, she dreamed of nothing at all. The next day, it had stopped raining, but a thick white fog had lowered over the house. I'm going for a walk, said Coraline. Don't go too far, said her mother and dress up warmly. Coraline put on her blue coat and a hood, her red scarf and her yellow Wellington boots. She went out. Miss Spink was walking her dogs. Hello, Caroline, said Miss Spink. Rotten weather. Yes, said Coraline. I played Portia once, said Miss Spink. Miss Forcible talks about her Ophelia, but it was my Portia they came to see when we trod the boards. Miss Spink was bundled up in pullovers and cardigans. She seemed more small and circular than ever. She looked like a large fluffy egg. She wore thick glasses that made her eyes seem huge. They used to send flowers to my dressing room, they did, she said. Who did, asked Coraline. Miss Spink looked around cautiously, looking over first one shoulder and then over the other, peering into the mists as though someone might be listening. Men, she whispered. She tugged the dogs to heel and waddled off back towards the house. Coraline continued her walk. 
She was three-quarters of the way around the house when she saw Miss Forcible standing at the door to the flat. "'Have you seen Miss Spink, Caroline?' Caroline told her that she had, and that Miss Spink was out walking the dogs. "'I do hope she doesn't get lost. It'll bring on her shingles if she does, you'll see. You'd have to be an explorer to find your way around in this fog.' "'I'm an explorer,' said Caroline.' "'Of course you are, lovey. Now, don't get lost.' Coraline continued walking through the gardens in the grey mist. She always kept in sight of the house, and after about ten minutes of walking she found herself back where she had started. The hair over her eyes was limp and wet, and her face felt damp. "'Ahoy, Caroline!' called the crazy old man upstairs. Oh, hello, said Coraline. She could hardly see the old man through the mist. He walked down the steps on the outside of the house that led up past Coraline's front door to the door of his flat. He walked down very slowly. Coraline waited at the bottom of the stairs. The mice do not like the mist, he told her. It makes their whiskers droop. I don't like the mist much either, admitted Coraline. The old man leaned down so close that the bottoms of his moustache tickled Coraline's ear. "'The mice have a message for you,' he whispered. Coraline didn't know what to say. "'The message is this. Don't go through the door.' He paused. "'Does that mean anything to you?' "'No,' said Coraline. The old man shrugged. "'They are funny, the mice.' They get things wrong. They got your name wrong, you know. They kept saying, Coraline, not Caroline, not Caroline at all. He picked up a milk bottle from the bottom of the stairs and started back up to his attic flat. Coraline went indoors. Her mother was working in her study. Her mother's study smelled of flowers. What shall I do? asked Coraline. When do you go back to school? asked her mother. Next week, said Coraline said the mother. I suppose I shall have to get you new school clothes. Remind me, dear, else I'll forget. And she went back to typing things on the computer screen. What shall I do? repeated Coraline. Draw something, her mother passed her a sheet of paper and a ballpoint pen. Coraline tried drawing the mist. After ten minutes, she still had a white sheet of paper with mist written on it in one corner in slightly wiggly letters. She grunted and passed it to her mother. Mmm, very modern, dear, said Coraline's mother. Coraline crept into the drawing room and tried to open the old door in the corner. It was locked once more. She supposed her mother must have locked it again. She shrugged. Coraline went to see her father. He had his back to the door as he typed. Go away, he said cheerfully as she walked in. I'm bored, she said. Learn how to tap dance, he suggested, without turning around. Coraline shook her head. Why don't you play with me, she asked. Busy, he said. Working, he added. He still hadn't turned around to look at her. Why don't you go and bother Miss Spink and Miss Forcible? Coraline put on her coat, pulled up her hood, and went out of the house. 
She went downstairs. She rang the door of Miss Spink and Miss Forcible's flat. Coraline could hear a frenzied woofing as the Scotty dogs ran out into the hall. After a while, Miss Spink opened the door. "'Oh, it's you, Caroline,' she said. "'Angus, Hamish, Bruce, down now, lovies. It's only Caroline. Come in, dear. Would you like a cup of tea?' The flat smelled of furniture polish and dogs. "'Yes, please,' said Coraline. Miss Spink led her into a dusty little room which she called the parlour. On the walls were black and white photographs of pretty women and theatre programmes in frames. Miss Forcible was sitting in one of the armchairs, knitting hard. They poured Coraline a cup of tea in a little pink bone china cup. They gave her a dry Gary Baldy biscuit to go with it. Miss Forcible looked at Miss Spink, picked up her knitting and took a deep breath. Anyway, April, as I was saying, you still have to admit there's life in the old dog yet. Miriam, dear, neither of us is as young as we were. Madame Arcati, replied Miss Forcible, the nurse in Romeo, Lady Bracknell, character parts, they can't retire you from the stage. Now, Miriam, we agreed, said Miss Spink. Coraline wondered if they'd forgotten that she was there. They weren't making much sense. She decided that they were having an argument, as old and as comfortable as an armchair. The kind of argument that no one ever really wins or loses, but which can go on forever, if both parties are willing. She sipped her tea. I'll read the leaves if you want, said Miss Spink. Sorry, said Coraline. The tea leaves, dear. I'll read your future. Coraline passed Miss Spink her cup. Miss Spink peered short-sightedly at the black tea leaves in the bottom. She pursed her lips. You know, Caroline, she said after a while, you are in terrible danger. Miss Forcible snorted and put down her knitting. Don't be so silly, April. Stop scaring the girl. Your eyes are going. Pass me that cup, child. Caroline carried the cup over to Miss Forcible. Miss Forcible looked into it carefully and shook her head and looked into it again. Oh dear, she said. You were right, April. She is in danger. See, Miriam, said Miss Spink triumphantly. My eyes are as good as they ever were. What am I in danger from? asked Coraline. Mrs. Spink and Forcible stared at her blankly. It didn't say, said Miss Spink. Tea leaves aren't reliable for that kind of thing. Not really. They're good for general, but not for specifics. Well, what should I do then? asked Coraline, who was slightly alarmed by this. Don't wear green in your dressing room, suggested Miss Spink. Or mention the Scottish play, added Miss Forcible. Caroline wondered why so few of the adults that she had met made any sense. She sometimes wondered who they thought they were talking to. And be very, very careful, said Miss Spink. She got up from the armchair and went over to the fireplace. On the mantelpiece was a small jar. Miss Spink took off the top of the jar and began to pull things out of it. There was a tiny china duck, a thimble, a strange little brass coin, two paper clips, and a stone with a hole in it. 
she passed Coraline the stone with a hole in it. What's it for? asked Coraline. The hole went all the way through the middle of the stone. She held it up to the window and looked through it. It might help, said Miss Spink. They're good for bad things, sometimes. Coraline put on her coat, said goodbye to Mrs. Spink and Forcible, and to the dogs, and went outside. The mist hung like blindness around the house. She walked slowly to the stairs up to her family's flat, and stopped and looked around. In the mist it was a ghost world. In danger, thought Caroline to herself. It sounded exciting. It didn't sound like a bad thing, not really. Caroline went back upstairs, her fist closed tightly around her new stone. The next day the sun shone, and Coraline's mother took her into the nearest large town to buy clothes for school. They dropped her father off at the railway station. He was going into London for the day to see some people. Coraline waved him goodbye. They went to the department store to buy school clothes. Coraline saw some day-glow green gloves that she liked a lot. Her mother refused to buy them for her, preferring instead to buy white socks navy blue school underpants, four grey blouses, and a dark grey skirt. But, Mum, everybody at school's got grey blouses and everything. Nobody's got green gloves. I could be the only one. Her mother ignored her. She was talking to the shop assistant. They were talking about which kind of sweater to get for Coraline and were agreeing that the best thing to do would be the one that was embarrassingly large and baggy, in the hopes that one day she might grow into it. Coraline wandered off and looked at a display of Wellington boots shaped like frogs and ducks and rabbits. Then she wandered back. Coraline, oh, there you are. Where on earth were you? I was kidnapped by aliens, said Coraline. They came down from outer space with ray guns, but I fooled them by wearing a wig and laughing in a foreign accent, and I escaped. Yes, dear. Uh, now, do you think you could do with some more hair clips? No. Well, let's say half a dozen to be on the safe side, said her mother. Coraline didn't say anything. In the car on the way back home, Coraline said, What's in the empty flat? I don't know. Nothing, I expect. It probably looks like our flat before we moved in. Empty rooms. Do you think that you could get into it from our flat? Not unless you walk through bricks, dear. Oh. They got home around lunchtime. The sun was shining, although the day was cold. Coraline's mother looked in the fridge and found a sad little tomato and a piece of cheese with green stuff growing on it. There was only crust in the bread bin. I'd better dash down to the shops and get some fish fingers or something, said her mother. Do you want to come? No, said Coraline. Suit yourself, said her mother, and left. Then she came back and got her purse and car keys and went out again. Coraline was bored. She flipped through a book that her mother was reading about native people in a distant country. How every day that they would take a piece of white silk and draw on them in wax, then dip the silks in dye, and then draw on them more in wax and dye them some more and then boil the wax out in hot water and then finally throw now beautiful cloths on a fire and burn them to ashes. 
It seemed particularly pointless to Coraline, but she hoped that the people enjoyed it. She was still bored, and her mother wasn't yet home. Coraline got a chair and pushed it over to the kitchen door. She climbed onto the chair and reached up. She got down, then got a broom from the broom cupboard. She climbed back on the chair again and reached up with a broom. Chink! She climbed down from the chair and picked up the keys. She smiled triumphantly. She leaned the broom against the wall and went into the drawing room. The family did not use the drawing room. They had inherited the furniture from Coraline's grandmother, along with a wooden coffee table, a side table, a heavy glass ashtray, and the oil painting of a bowl of fruit. Coraline could never work out why anyone would want to paint a bowl of fruit. Other than that, the room was empty. There were no knick-knacks on the mantelpiece, no statues or clocks, nothing that made it feel comfortable or lived in. The old black key felt colder than any of the others. She pushed it into the keyhole. It turned smoothly with a satisfying clunk. Coraline stopped and listened. She knew that she was doing something wrong, and she was trying to listen for her mother coming back, but she heard nothing. Then Coraline put her hand on the doorknob and turned it. Finally, she opened the door. It opened onto a dark hallway. The bricks had gone as if they had never been there. There was a cold, musty smell coming through the open doorway. It smelled like something very old and very slow. Coraline went through the door. She wondered what the empty flat would be like, if that was where the corridor led. Coraline walked down the corridor uneasily. There was something very familiar about it. The carpet beneath her feet was the same carpet that they had in her flat. The wallpaper was the same wallpaper that they had. The picture hanging in the hall was the same hanging in their hallway at home. She knew where she was. She was in her own home. She hadn't left. She shook her head, confused. She stared at the picture hanging on the wall, though no, it wasn't exactly the same. The picture they had in their own hallway showed a boy in old-fashioned clothes staring at some bubbles. But now the expression on his face was different. He was looking at the bubbles, as if he was planning to do something very nasty indeed to them. And there was something peculiar about his eyes. Coraline stared at his eyes trying to figure out exactly what was different. She almost had it when somebody said, Caroline? It sounded like her mother. Caroline went into the kitchen where the voice had come from. A woman stood in the kitchen with her back to Caroline. She looked a little like Caroline's mother, only... only her skin was as white as paper. Only she was taller and thinner. Only her fingers were too long and they never stopped moving and her dark red fingernails were curved and sharp. Caroline, the woman said, 
is that you? And then she turned around. Her eyes were big black buttons. Lunchtime, Coraline, said the woman. Who are you? asked Coraline. I'm your other mother, said the woman. Go tell your other father that lunch is ready. She opened the door of the oven. Suddenly, Coraline realized how hungry she was. It smelled wonderful. Well, go on. Coraline went down the hall to where her father's study was. She opened the door. There was a man in there sitting at the keyboard with his back to her. Hello, said Coraline. I mean, she said to say that lunch is ready. The man turned around. His eyes were buttons, big, black, shiny. Hello, Coraline, he said. I'm starving. He got up and went with her into the kitchen. They sat at the kitchen table and Coraline's other mother brought them lunch. A huge golden brown roasted chicken, fried potatoes, tiny green peas. Coraline shoveled the food into her mouth. It tasted wonderful. We've been waiting for you for a long time, said Coraline's other father. For me? Yes, said other mother. It wasn't the same here without you. We knew you'd arrive one day, and then we could be a proper family. Would you like some more chicken? It was the best chicken that Coraline had ever eaten. Her mother sometimes made chicken, but it was always out of packets or frozen, and it was very dry. It never tasted of anything. When Coraline's father cooked chicken, he bought real chicken, but he did strange things to it, like stewing it in wine, or stuffing it with prunes, or baking it in pastry, and Coraline would always refuse to touch it, on principle. She took some more chicken. I didn't know I had another mother, said Coraline. Of course you do. Everyone does, said the other mother her black button eyes gleaming. After lunch, I thought you might like to play in your room with the rats. The rats from upstairs. Coraline had never seen a rat except on television. She was quite looking forward to it. This was turning out to be a very interesting day, after all. After lunch, her other parents did the washing up, and Coraline went down the hall to her other bedroom. It was different from her bedroom at home. For a start, it was painted in an off-putting shade of green and a peculiar shade of pink. Coraline decided that she wouldn't want to have to sleep in there, but that the colour scheme was an awful lot more interesting than her own bedroom. There were all sorts of remarkable things in there that she'd never seen before. Wind-up angels that fluttered around the bedroom like startled sparrows books with pictures that writhed and crawled and shimmered, little dinosaur skulls that chattered their teeth as she passed, and a whole toy box filled with wonderful toys. This is more like it, thought Coraline. She looked out of the window. Outside, the view was the same one that she saw from her own bedroom. Trees, fields, and beyond them on the horizon, distant purple hills. Something black scurried across the floor and vanished under the bed. 
Coraline got down on her knees and looked under the bed. Fifty little red eyes stared back at her. Hello, said Coraline. Are you the rats? They came out from under the bed, blinking their eyes in the light. They had short, soot-black fur, little red eyes, pink paws like tiny hands, and pink hairless tails like long, smooth worms. Can you talk? she asked. The largest, blackest of the rats shook its head. It had an unpleasant sort of smile, Coraline thought. Well, asked Coraline, what do you do? The rats formed a circle. They began to climb on top of each other, carefully but swiftly, until they had formed a pyramid with the largest rat at the top. The rats began to sing in high, whispery voices. We have teeth and we have tails, we have tails and we have eyes. We were here before you fell, you will be here when we rise. It wasn't a pretty song. Coraline was sure she had heard it before, or something like that, although she was unable to remember exactly where. Then the pyramid fell apart and the rats scampered fast and black towards the door. The other crazy old man upstairs was standing in the doorway, holding a tall black hat in his hands. The rats scampered up him, burrowing into his pockets and into his shirt and up his trouser legs and down his neck. The largest rat climbed onto the old man's shoulders, swung up on the old long grey moustache, past the big black button eyes and onto the top of the man's head. In seconds, the only evidence that the rats were there at all was the restless lumps under the man's clothes, forever sliding from place to place across him. And there was still the largest rat, who stared down, with glittering red eyes, at Coraline from the man's head. The old man put his hat on, and the last rat was gone. Hello, Coraline, said the other man upstairs. I heard you were here. It is time for the rats to have their dinner. But you can come up with me if you like and watch them feed. There was something hungry in the old man's button eyes that made Coraline feel uncomfortable. No, thank you, she said. I'm going outside to explore. The old man nodded very slowly. Coraline could hear the rats whispering to each other, although she could not tell what they were saying. She was not certain that she wanted to know what they were saying. Her other parents stood in the kitchen doorway as she walked down the corridor, smiling identical smiles and waving slowly. Have a nice time outside, said her other mother. We'll just wait here for you to come back, said her other father. When Coraline got to the front door, she turned back and looked at them. They were still watching her, and waving, and smiling. Coraline walked outside, and down the steps. The house looked exactly the same from the outside, or almost exactly the same. Around Miss Spink and Miss Forcible's door were blue and red light bulbs that flashed on and off, spelling out words the lights chasing each other around the door. It was a sunny, cold day, exactly like the one that she had left 
There was a polite noise from behind her. She turned around. Standing on the wall next to her was a large black cat. Identical to the large black cat that she had seen in the grounds at home. Good afternoon, said the cat. Its voice sounded like the voice at the back of Coraline's head. The voice that she thought words in, but a man's voice, not a girl's. Hello, said Coraline. I saw a cat like you at home. You must be the other cat. The cat shook its head. No, it said. I am not the other anything. I'm me. It tipped its head to one side, its green eyes glinted. You people are spread all over the place. Cats, on the other hand, keep ourselves together. If you see what I mean. I suppose, but you're the same cat that I saw at home. How can you talk? Cats don't have shoulders, not like people do. But the cat shrugged in one smooth movement that started at the tip of its tail and ended in a raised movement of its whiskers. I can talk. Cats don't talk at home. No, said the cat. No, said Coraline. The cat leaped smoothly from the wall to the grass near Coraline's feet. It stared up at her. Well, you're the expert on these things, said the cat dryly. After all, what would I know? I'm only a cat. It began to walk away, its head and tail held high and proud. Come back, said Coraline. Please, I'm, I'm sorry. I really am. The cat stopped walking, sat down and began to wash itself thoughtfully, apparently unaware of Coraline's existence. We, we could be friends, you know, said Coraline. We could be rare specimens of an exotic breed of African dancing elephants, said the cat. But we're not. At least, it added cattily, after darting a brief look at Coraline. I'm not. Coraline sighed. Please, what's your name? Coraline asks the cat. Look, I'm Coraline, okay? The cat yawned slowly carefully revealing a mouth and a tongue of astounding pinkness. Cats don't have names, it said. No, said Coraline. No, said the cat. Now, you people have names. That's because you don't know who you are. We know who we are, so we don't need names. There was something irritatingly self-centered about the cat, as if it were, in its opinion, the only thing in the world or place that could possibly be of any importance. Half of her wanted to be very rude to it, and the other half of her wanted to be polite and deferential. The polite half won. Please, what is this place? The cat glanced around briefly. It's here, said the cat. I can see that. Well, how did you get here? Like you did. I walked, said the cat. Like this. Coraline watched as the cat walked slowly across the lawn. It walked behind a tree, but didn't come out the other side. Coraline went over to the tree and looked behind it. 
the cat was gone. She walked back towards the house. There was another polite noise from behind her. It was the cat. By the by, it said, it was sensible of you to bring protection. I'd hang on to it if I were you. Protection? That's what I said, said the cat. And anyway, it paused and stared intently at something that wasn't there. Then it went down into a low crouch and moved slowly forward two or three steps. It seemed to be stalking an invisible mouse. Abruptly, it turned tail and dashed for the woods. It vanished among the trees. Coraline wondered what the cat had meant. She also wondered why the cats could all talk, where she came from, and just chose not to. Or whether they could only talk where they were here, wherever here was. She walked down the brick steps to the Mrs. Spink and Forcible front door. The blue and red lights flashed on and off. The door was open, just slightly. She knocked on it, but her first knock made the door swing open, and Coraline went in. She walked down the brick steps to the Mrs. Spink and Forcible's front door. The blue and red lights flashed on and off. The door was open, just slightly. She knocked on it, but her first knock made the door swing open, and Coraline went in. She was in a dark room that smelled of dust and velvet. The door swung shut behind her, and the room was black. Coraline edged forward into a small anteroom. Her face brushed against something soft. It was cloth. She reached up her hand and pushed at the cloth. It parted. She stood blinking on the other side of the velvet curtains in a poorly lit theatre. Far away at the edge of the room was a high wooden stage, empty and bare, a dim spotlight shining onto it from high above. There were seats between Coraline and the stage. Rows and rows of seats. She heard a shuffling noise and a light came towards her, swinging from side to side. When it was closer, she saw the light was coming from a flashlight, being carried in the mouth of a large black Scotty dog, its muzzle grey with age. Hello, said Coraline. The dog put the flashlight down on the floor and looked up at her. Right, let's see your ticket, he said gruffly. Ticket? That's what I said. Ticket? I haven't got all day. You can't watch the show without a ticket. Coraline sighed. I don't have a ticket, she admitted. Another one, said the dog gloomily. Come in here, bold as anything. Where's your ticket? Haven't got one. I don't know. It shook its head and shrugged. Come on then. He picked up the flashlight in his mouth and trotted off into the dark. Caroline followed him. When he got near the front of the stage, he stopped and shone the flashlight to an empty seat. Coraline sat down, and the dog wandered off. As her eyes got used to the darkness, she realized that the other inhabitants of the seats were also dogs. There was a sudden hissing noise from behind the stage. 
Coraline decided that it was the sound of a scratchy old record being put onto a record player. The hissing became the noise of trumpets, and Miss Spink and Miss Forcible came onto the stage. Miss Spink was riding a one-wheeled bicycle and juggling balls. Miss Forcible skipped behind her, holding a basket of flowers. She scattered the flower petals across the stage as she went. They reached the front of the stage, and Miss Spink leaped nimbly off of the unicycle, and the two old women bowed low. All the dogs thumped their tails and barked enthusiastically. Coraline clapped politely. Then they unbuttoned their fluffy round coats and opened them, but their coats weren't all that opened. Their faces opened too, like empty shells. And out of the old fluffy round bodies stepped two young women. They were thin and pale and quite pretty, and had black button eyes. The new Miss Spink was wearing green tights and high brown boots that went most of the way up her legs. The new Miss Forcible wore a white dress and had flowers in her long, yellow hair. Caroline pressed back against her seat. Miss Spink went off the stage and the noise of trumpets squealed as the gramophone needle dug its way across the record and was pulled off. This is my favourite bit, whispered the little dog in the seat next to her. The other Miss Forcible picked a knife out of the box on the corner of the stage. Is this a dagger that I see before me? she asked. Yes, shouted all of the little dogs. It is. Miss Forcible curtsied, and all of the dogs applauded again. Coraline didn't bother clapping this time. Miss Spink came back on. She slapped her thigh, and all the little dogs woofed. And now, Miss Spink said, Miriam and I proudly present a new and exciting addendum to our theatrical exposition. Do I see a volunteer? The little dog next to Coraline nudged her with its front paw. That's you, it hissed. Coraline stood up and walked up to the wooden steps to the stage. Can I have a big round of applause for our young volunteer? asked Miss Spink. The dogs woofed and squealed and thumped their tails on the velvet seats. Now, Coraline, said Miss Spink, what's your name? Coraline, said Coraline, and we don't know each other, do we? Coraline looked at the thin young woman with black button eyes and shook her head slowly. Now, said the other Miss Spink, stand over there. She led Coraline over to a board by the side of the stage and put a balloon on top of Coraline's head. Miss Spink walked over to Miss Forcible. She blindfolded Miss Forcible's button eyes with a black scarf and put the knife into her hands. Then she turned her round three or four times and pointed her at Coraline. Coraline held her breath and squeezed her fingers into two tight fists. Miss Forcible threw the knife at the balloon, and it popped loudly. The knife stuck into the board just above Coraline's head and twanged there. Coraline breathed out. The dogs went wild. Miss Spink gave Coraline a very small box of chocolates and thanked her for being such a good sport. Coraline went back to her seat. You were very good, said the little dog. Thank you, said Coraline. 
Miss Forcible and Miss Spink began juggling with huge wooden clubs. Coraline opened the box of chocolates. The dog looked at them longingly. Would you like one? she asked the little dog. Yes, please, whispered the dog. Only not toffee ones, they make me draw. I thought chocolates weren't very good for dogs, she said, remembering something that Miss Forcible had once told her. Maybe where you come from. Here it's all we eat. Coraline couldn't see what the chocolates were in the dark. She took an experimental bite of one, which turned out to be coconut. Coraline didn't like coconut, so she gave it to the dog. Thank you, said the dog. You're welcome, said Coraline. Miss Forcible and Miss Spink were doing some acting. Miss Forcible was sitting on a stepladder and Miss Spink was standing at the bottom. "'What's in a name?' asked Miss Forcible. "'That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet.' "'Have you got any more chocolate?' said the dog. Coraline gave the dog another chocolate. "'I know not how to tell thee who I am,' said Miss Spink to Miss Forcible. "'This bit finishes soon,' whispered the dog. "'Then they start folk dancing.' "'How long does this go on for?' asked Coraline. "'The theatre?' "'All the time,' said the dog. "'Forever. And always.' "'Here,' said Coraline. "'Keep the chocolates.' "'Thank you,' said the dog. Coraline stood up. "'See you soon,' said the dog. "'Bye,' said Coraline. She walked out of the theatre and back into the garden. She had to blink her eyes at the daylight.' Her other parents were waiting for her in the garden, standing side by side. They were smiling. "'Did you have a nice time?' asked her other mother. "'It was interesting,' said Coraline. The three of them walked back up to Coraline's other house together. Coraline's other mother stroked Coraline's hair with her long white fingers. Coraline shook her head. "'Don't do that,' said Coraline." Her other mother took her hand away. So, said other father, do you like it here? I suppose, said Coraline. It's much more interesting than at home. They went inside. I'm glad you like it, said Coraline's mother, because we'd like to think that this is your home. You can stay here forever and always if you want to. Hmm, said Caroline. She put her hand in her pockets and thought about it. Her hand touched the stone that the real Mrs. Spink and Forcible had given her the day before, the stone with a hole in it. If you want to stay, said her other father, there's only one little thing we'll have to do so that you can stay here forever and always. They went into the kitchen, and on a china plate on the kitchen table was a spool of black cotton and a long silver needle, and besides them, two large black buttons. I don't think so, said Coraline. Oh, but we want you to, said her other mother. We want you to stay, and it's just a little thing. It won't hurt, said her other father. Caroline knew that when grown-ups told you something wouldn't hurt, it almost always did. She shook her head. Her other mother smiled brightly, and the hair on her head drifted like plants under the sea. 
We only want what's best for you, she said. She put her hand on Coraline's shoulder. Coraline backed away. I'm going now, said Coraline. She put her hands in her pockets, her fingers closed around the stone with the hole in it. Her other mother's hand scuttled off of Coraline's shoulder like a frightened spider. If that's what you want, she said. Yes, said Coraline. We'll see you soon, though, said her other father. When you come back. Um, said Coraline. And then we'll all be together as one big happy family, said other mother. Forever. And always. Coraline backed away. She turned and hurried into the drawing room and pulled the door open in the corner. There was no brick wall there now, just darkness. A night-black underground darkness that seemed as if things in it might be moving. Coraline hesitated. She turned back. Her other mother and her other father were walking towards her, holding hands. They were looking at her with their black button eyes. Or at least she thought they were looking at her, she couldn't be sure. Her other mother reached out her free hand and beckoned gently with one white finger. Her pale lips mouthed, come back soon, although she said nothing aloud. Coraline took a deep breath and stepped into the darkness, where strange voices whispered and distant winds howled. She became certain there was something in the dark behind her, something very old and very slow. Her heart beat so hard and so loudly, she was scared it would burst out of her chest. She closed her eyes against the dark. Eventually, she bumped into something and opened her eyes, startled. She bumped into an armchair in her drawing room. The open doorway behind her was blocked by rough red bricks. She was home. Coraline locked the door of the drawing room with the cold black key. She went back into the kitchen and climbed onto a chair. She tried to put the bunch of keys back on top of the doorframe again. She tried four or five times before she was forced to accept that she just wasn't big enough. She put them down on the counter next to the door. Her mother still hadn't returned from her shopping expedition. Coraline went to the freezer and took out the spare loaf of frozen bread in the bottom compartment. She made herself some toast with jam and peanut butter. She drank a glass of water. She waited for her parents to come back. When it began to get dark, Coraline microwaved herself a frozen pizza. Then Coraline watched television. She wondered why grown-ups gave themselves all the good programs with all the shouting and running around in. After a while, she started yawning. She undressed, brushed her teeth, and put herself to bed. In the morning, she went into her parents' room, but their bed hadn't been slept in and they weren't around. She ate canned spaghetti for breakfast. For lunch, she had a block of cooking chocolate and an apple. The apple was yellow and slightly shriveled, but it tasted sweet and good. For tea, she went down to Mrs. Spink and Forcible. She had three digestive biscuits, a glass of limeade, a cup of weak tea. The limeade was very interesting. It didn't taste anything like limes. It tasted bright green and vaguely chemical. Coraline liked it enormously. She wished they had it at home. How are your 
dear mother and father? asked Miss Spink. Missing, said Coraline. I haven't seen either of them since yesterday. I'm on my own, and I think I've probably become a single-child family. Tell your mother we found the Glasgow Empire press clippings that we were telling her about. She seemed very interested when Miriam mentioned them to her. She's vanished under mysterious circumstances, said Coraline, and I believe my father has as well. I'm afraid we'll be out all day tomorrow, Caroline, lovey, said Miss Forcible. We'll be staying over with April's niece in Royal Tunbridge Wells. They showed Coraline a photographic album with photographs of Miss Spink's niece in it, and then Coraline went home. She opened her money box and walked down to the supermarket to buy two large bottles of limeade, a chocolate cake, a new bag of apples, and went home and ate them for dinner. She cleaned her teeth and went into the father's office. She woke up his computer and wrote a story. Coraline's Story There was a girl. Her name was Apple. She used to dance a lot. She danced and danced until her feet turned into sausages. The end. She printed out the story and turned off the computer. Then she drew a picture of the little girl dancing underneath the words on the paper. She ran herself a bath with too much bubble bath in it, and the bubbles ran over the side and went all over the floor. She dried herself and the floor as best as she could and went to bed. Coraline woke up in the night. She went into her parents' bedroom, but the bed was made and empty. The glowing green numbers on the digital clock glowed at 3.12 in the morning, all alone in the middle of the night. Coraline began to cry. There was no other sound in the empty flat. She climbed into her parents' bed, and after a while she went to sleep. Coraline was woken by cold paws batting her face. She opened her eyes. Big, green eyes stared back at her. It was the cat. Hello, said Coraline. How did you get in? The cat didn't say anything. Coraline got out of bed. She was wearing a long t-shirt and pajama bottoms. Have you come to tell me something? The cat yawned, which made its eyes flash green. Do you know where Mummy and Daddy are? The cat blinked at her slowly. Is that a yes? The cat blinked again. Coraline decided that was indeed a yes. Will you take me to them? The cat stared at her and then walked out into the hall. She followed it. It walked the length of the corridor and stopped down at the very end where a full-length mirror hung. The mirror had been a long time before the inside of a wardrobe door. It had been hanging there on the wall when they moved in, and although Coraline's mother had spoken occasionally of replacing it with something newer, she never had. Coraline turned on the light in the hall. The mirror showed the corridor behind her. That was only to be expected, but reflected in the mirror were her parents. They stood awkwardly in the reflection of the hall. They seemed sad and alone. As Coraline watched, they waved to her, slowly, with limp hands. 
Coraline's father had his arm around her mother. In the mirror, Coraline's mother and father stared at her. Her father opened his mouth and said something, but she could hear nothing at all. Her mother breathed on the inside of the mirror glass, and quickly, before the fog faded, she wrote, S-U-P-L-E-H. Help us backwards. The fog on the mirror faded, and so did her parents, and now the mirror reflected only the corridor, and Coraline, and the cat. Where are they? Coraline asked the cat. The cat made no reply, but Coraline could imagine its voice, dry as a dead fly on a windowsill in winter, saying, Well, where do you think they are? They aren't going to come back, are they? said Coraline. Not under their own steam. The cat blinked at her. Coraline took it as a yes. Right, said Coraline. Then I suppose there is only one thing left to do. She walked into her father's study. She sat down at his desk. She picked up the telephone, and she opened the phone book and telephoned the local police station. Police, said a gruff male voice. Hello, she said. My name is Coraline Jones. You're up a bit after your bedtime, aren't you, young lady? said the policeman. Possibly, said Coraline, who was not going to be diverted. But I am ringing to report a crime. And what sort of crime would that be? Kidnapping. Grown-up napping, really. My parents have been stolen away into a world on the other side of the mirror in our hall. And do you know who stole them? asked the police officer. Coraline could hear the smile in his voice, and she tried extra hard to sound like an adult might sound to make him take her seriously. I think my other mother has them both in her clutches. She may want to keep them and sew their eyes with black buttons, or she may simply have them in order to lure me back into the reach of her fingers. I'm not sure. Ah... The nefarious clutches of her fiendish fingers, is it? He said. Mm. You know what I suggest, Miss Jones? No, said Coraline. What? You ask your mother to make you a big old mug of hot chocolate and give you a great big old hug. There's nothing like hot chocolate and a hug for making the nightmares go away. And if she starts to tell you off for waking her up at this time of night, why... You tell her that that's what the policeman said. He had a deep and reassuring voice. Coraline was not reassured. When I see her, said Coraline, I shall tell her that. And she put down the telephone. The black cat who had sat on the floor grooming his fur through this entire conversation stood up and led the way into the hall. Coraline went back into her bedroom and put on a blue dressing gown and her slippers. She looked under the sink for a flashlight and found one, but the batteries had long since run down and it barely glowed with the faintest straw-coloured light. She put it down again and found a box of in-case-of-emergency white wax candles and thrust one into a candlestick. She put an apple into each pocket. She picked up the ring of keys and took the old black key off the ring. She walked into the drawing room and looked at the door. She had the feeling that the door was looking at her 
which she knew was silly and knew on a deeper level was somehow true. She went back into her bedroom and rummaged in the pocket of her jeans. She found the stone with a hole in it and put it into her dressing gown pocket. She lit the candle wick with a match and watched it sputter and light and picked up the black key. It was cold in her hand. She put it into the keyhole in the door but did not turn the key. When I was a little girl, said Coraline to the cat, when we lived in our old house, a long, long time ago, my dad took me for a walk on the wasteland between our house and the shops. It wasn't the best place to go for a walk, really. There were all these things that people had thrown away back there. Old cookers and broken dishes and dolls with no arms and no legs and empty cans, broken bottles. Mum and Dad made me promise not to go exploring back there because there were too many sharp things and tetanus and such. But I kept telling them I wanted to explore it. So one day my dad put on his big brown boots and gloves and put my boots on me and my jeans and my sweater and we went for a walk. We must have walked for about twenty minutes. We went down this hill to the bottom of a gully where a stream was. When my dad suddenly said to me, Coraline, run away, up the hill now. He said it in a tight sort of way, urgently, so I did. I ran away up the hill. Something hurt me on the back of my arm as I ran, but I kept running. As I got to the top of the hill, I heard somebody thundering up the hill behind me. It was my dad charging like a rhino, and when he reached me, he picked me up in his arms and swept me over the edge of the hill. And then we stopped, and we puffed, and we panted, and we looked back down the gully. The air was alive with yellow wasps. We must have stepped on a wasp's nest in a rotten branch as we walked, and while I was running up the hill, my dad stayed and got stung to give me time to run away. His glasses had fallen off when he ran. I, I only had one sting on the back of my arm, and he had thirty-nine stings all over him. We counted later in the bath. The black cat began to wash its face and whiskers in a manner that indicated increasing impatience. Coraline reached down and stroked the back of its head and neck. The cat stood up and walked several paces until it was out of her reach and sat down and looked back up again. So, said Coraline. Later that afternoon, my dad went back to the wasteland to get his glasses back. He said if he left it another day, he wouldn't be able to remember where they'd fallen. And soon he got home, wearing his glasses. He said that he wasn't scared when he was standing there and the wasps were stinging him and hurting him and he was watching me run away because he knew that he had given me enough time to run, or the wasps would have come after both of us. Coraline turned the key in the door, and it turned with a loud clunk. The door swung open. There was no brick wall on the other side of the door, only darkness. A cold wind blew through the passageway. Coraline made no move to walk through the door. And he said that wasn't brave of him doing that, just standing there being stung, said Coraline to the cat. 
It wasn't brave because he wasn't scared. It was the only thing that he could do. But going back again to get his glasses when he knew the wasps were there, when he was really scared, that was brave. She took her first step down the dark corridor. She could smell dust, damp, and mustiness. The cat padded along beside her. And why was that? asked the cat, although it sounded barely interested. Because, she said, when you're scared, but you still do it anyway, that's brave. The candle cast a huge, strange, flickering shadow along the wall. She heard something moving in the darkness. Beside her, or to one side of her, she could not tell, but it seemed as if it was keeping pace with her, whatever it was. And that's why you're going back to her world, then, said the cat. Because your father once saved you from wasps. Don't be silly, said Coraline. I'm going back for them because they are my parents. And if they noticed I was gone, I'm sure they would do the same for me. You know you're talking again. How fortunate I am, said the cat. In having a traveling companion of such wisdom and intelligence. Its tone remained sarcastic, but its fur was bristling, and its brush of a tail stuck up in the air. Coraline was going to say something like sorry, or wasn't it a lot shorter of a walk last time, when the candle went out, as suddenly as if it had been snuffed by someone's hand. There was a scrabbling and a pattering, and Coraline could feel her heart pounding against her ribs. She put out one hand and felt something wispy, like a spider's web, brush her hands in her face. At the end of the corridor, the electric light went on, blinding after the darkness. A woman stood silhouetted by the light, a little ahead of Coraline. Coraline, darling, she called. Mum, said Coraline, and she ran forward, eager and relieved. Darling, said the woman, why did you ever run away from me? Coraline was too close to stop, and she felt the other mother's cold arms enfold her. She stood there rigid and trembling as other mother held her tightly. Where are my parents? Coraline asked. We're here said her other mother, in a voice so close to her real mother's that Coraline could scarcely tell them apart. We're here. We're ready to love you, and play with you, and feed you, and make your life interesting. Coraline pulled back, and the other mother let her go with reluctance. The other father, who had been sitting on a chair in the hallway, stood up and smiled. Come into the kitchen, he said. I'll make us a midnight snack, and you'll want something to drink. Hot chocolate, perhaps? Coraline walked down the hallway until she reached the mirror at the end. There was nothing reflected in it but a young girl in a dressing gown and slippers, who looked like she had recently been crying, but whose eyes were real eyes, not black buttons, and who was holding tightly to a burned-out candle in a candlestick. She looked at the girl in the mirror. The girl in the mirror looked back, 
I will be brave, thought Coraline. No, I am brave.